Hello, my name is Anna, and if you're into scary stories and creepy real-life happenings, then I think you will love my podcast. Let me tell you a scary story. Join me every week as I read to you stories of the paranormal that actually happen to ordinary people. These are things that can't be explained and don't always make much sense, and they are sure to intrigue and to give you the shivers. So join me on your favourite podcast listening platform and let me tell you a scary story. Welcome to episode 64, Indiana. Yes. Tonight we're going to discuss the Buck Wedgie. Yep. <laughs> Little Man of the Forest. And we're going to learn about how Mr. James Moon lost his head. Uh-oh. I'm your host, Chris. Sitting across from me is the lovely face of my boy, James. What's up, my brother? And how's everybody doing this evening? Man, I am doing good. Doing good. Excited to hear about this little tiny, tiny person from the forest. So why don't we go ahead and get into it? Let's do it, my man. All right, folks, this week's point of interest leads us to Mounds State Park in Anderson, Indiana. To those who suffer from, and bear with me while I say this word, achondroplasia phobia. Good job. Okay, I'll take it. This, that is the fear of little people. How is the fear of little people such a long-ass word? I do not know. Can't you just say, like, you know... A con- yeah, it's achondroplasiaphobia. Did you say little phobia? Yeah. Easier. Done. Boom. Yeah. Midgetitis? I mean, I don't know. <laughs> Midgetitis. Can't, you can't include that shit. I understand. <laughs> That's cool. All right. This story is maybe one of nightmares. There are actually a lot of people that are afraid of little people. Yeah. I, I knew one person that was afraid of... Hazel is. Hazel... Okay, so I know, I know two people then that are afraid yep, of little people. You do? Okay, there we go. I mean, she doesn't go run screaming, but it was one of those people. It's just, I don't know what it is, but yeah, I've uh, known some people with that, that disorder. All right. Well, let's get into the legend of the Puckwudgie, shall we? Imagine, if you can, a being that can disappear at will, transform into animals, and even lure people to their doom. I like that. Sounds like a, like a leprechaun. Kind of. But go on. The Pukwudgie are small humanoid inhabitants of the Mound State Park. Not anywhere else. They're they're literally, when huh. I was reading about these guys, yeah. they are located in the Mound State Park. Interesting. The stories told of these creatures date back hundreds of years into the Native American folklore. I mean, wow. so, okay. yeah. So, I don't know if they're... So, there's some history there. Yeah, there's some history. The natives who lived in the mounds, where the park gets its name before the area was settled, had staunch warnings for anyone who would dare mess with these little guys. <laughs> the Puckwudgie are a local Indiana legend that have been allegedly witnessed by several people over the years. 
As with all legends, of course, the stories told kind of vary. Of course. They always do. Always. The Lenape tribe of Delaware seem to have the most to tell. Probably why they're in Delaware. It's <laughs> <laughs> the only thing to talk about in Delaware. run into the puck wedgie, I'm going to Delaware. <laughs> but what's funny is before I get into this real deep, it's not, to me, little people exist. Why couldn't there be a whole colony of little people? I you mean, know what I mean? That's Genetically what is, disposed to being smaller beings. I mean, you know, the, I, I could see it be entirely possible. Isn't that what the pygmies were like in the Amazon? And yeah, yeah, but right. they're like four foot. Yeah, they're small. That's still, they're yeah, tiny people. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. But like I said, the Lenape tribe of Delaware seemed to have the most to tell. The name Puckwudgie means little wild men of the forest. The Lenape had said that they were once friendly toward humans, but began to turn on them, causing great fear. Which probably deservedly so. Yes. Now, probably not the Indian, but probably try to turn on Whitey. You know, oh, of course. Whitey you know, shows up, screws everything shows up. Shows up, starts giving all kinds of diseases and stuff. Next yep. thing you know, boom, they're dead. According to them and the stories they've imparted, if you mess with a puckwudgie, they would trick you and follow you and cause harm. Trip you, cause you, you know, stuff like that. They were also known to kidnap people. Mm. Push or hurt people. Mm-hmm. Attack with miniature weaponry. <laughs> <laughs> cute. Now that I love that. That's one. cute. And I think of that doll from Trilogy of Terror. Yeah, they also kind of sound like e- like uh, Ewoks to me. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Weird. Little crude weaponry, mm-hmm. and they can also manifest into deadly animals to scare you away. Wow, these guys are powerful, huh? Yeah, little wizards. From eyewitness descriptions. As I do in quotes, <laughs> eyewitness descriptions. <laughs> yeah, they are they are said to resemble goblins. You know, huh. they are described as being about two to three feet in height and dressed in blue robes or shirts. <laughs> I don't know. Or shirts. <laughs> That's what it said. Shirts. I love it. That's wonderful. Got this shit straight. That's right. They have a blonde helmet hairstyle. <laughs> Now they sound like Loompa go on. No, no, that's what I was <laughs> From the newer one, not the classic, but the newer one, yeah. But that helmet hair actually helps shape their face. So <laughs> that's what it said. It shapes their little round faces. And of course, as always, there is no photographic evidence. You know, in the epic titled Song of Hiawatha, which a lot of people have heard of, written by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, retells the story of these creatures and may shed some light on what they may have looked like. Of course, if nobody's, you know, I don't know if he's seen them either, but he wrote about them apparently. Okay. I did not go read the poem, so oh, I didn't okay. have the time, didn't care to. <laughs> okay. But it might be worth reading. So At some point. Yeah. I personally am picturing a rampaging group of pissed off garden gnomes, but that's just my opinion. That's what I was thinking in my head too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> In an excerpt from the Hoosier Horror website, written cool. by Sarah, quote-unquote, last, no last name given. Because <laughs> I'm sitting there going, just Sarah. Sarah, yep. Hello, S. Remember? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Hello, S. That's right. She writes, there is a famous house on the site at Mound State Park that is called the Bronnenberg House, which was built in the 1800s and inhabited by the Bronnenberg family. Who else? A girl named Eloise, who once lived in the house, retold her encounter that she had with the Puckwudgies as a child. She was interviewed by author Paul Starchman for his book, The Puckwudgies of Indiana. Eloise said that at 
the punk wedgies would approach her as she was playing alone in the park and seemed curious and interested in what she was doing. They spoke with her in high-pitched voices, and I always want to go, we represent, you know. <laughs> the lollipop guild? That's right, the lollipop <laughs> guild, or whatever, in a language that she had never heard. She also claimed that she had encountered them again at an older age, but no real detail was given. The article is rather brief and does not speak of any harm done or any other misdeeds by our little friends in this case. So they didn't hurt her. They didn't attack. They didn't do anything. Okay. Gotcha. Probably were smart. They said, we're going to approach anybody. We're going to approach a child because they haven't developed hostility. And they're not as evil. They're not evil. I mean, they're still little bastards, but they're not as evil. But yeah. You know, white people, you got to love them. You hear stories of creatures, haunts, and other scary legends. And what do they do? They build a house right in the middle of it. <laughs> of course. Of course. Why not, right? That's what we do. Stories of these troll-like creatures are still popping up today from time to time. There are some who go intentionally seeking them, hence my white people crack. Because well, let's, let's go find them. Let's go look. Let's go look. Come on. Well, that's peculiar. <laughs> Others just happen to... St- you know, just happen upon them while strolling in a park. You know, and either way, you can go see for yourself. The park is accessible to the public. It's open. You know, and I did read that they have events on Sundays at 10 o'clock, and they actually have puckwudgie investigations and exploration. You know, you know we're going. We're <sighs> going. We're going to so go going. look for some puckwudgies. Yes, we are. Absolutely. <laughs> we are so going to go. I did not look this up to verify. I really don't care to. You know, you can sue me if you want to and forgive me. But what did the natives of the times long ago say? Leave them alone. You know, now we're left to wonder if the stories of their hostility was true or perhaps fabricated to discourage us from seeking them out. You know, sometimes you get thrown off. Are they real? Perhaps a secret adaptive society of little people dwelling in the woods? We just don't know. The choice, as always, Road Warriors, is yours. This is a place you can visit and even go on a troll hunt if the spirit moves you. Personally, I would rather check for myself. I have a problem with most quote-unquote tours as they tend to embellish and exaggerate for effect. And I can't stand that. You know, I, you know as an investigator, you know, I indeed get that. And I know why they would do that to you know, ratchet up the entertainment factor. But, you know, but that's not for me. As an investigator of the paranormal and sometimes normal, I would love to visit one day. I do have one question, though. Why do they not put up trail cams? Are they so magical they just know and perhaps transform into deer or raccoons when they notice them? You know, maybe they could transform into a Bigfoot or the Chupacabra to throw blame on another cryptid and fool us good old humans. Hmm. Well, as I said, well played, Puckwudgie. Well played. It definitely seemed a little um, short-tempered. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) See what I did there? Yep. Very cool. I I have heard of the Pukwudgies, but I have not heard, like, the story behind them. The name did ring a bell when I was looking it It was very cool to hear about it, yeah. But I didn't realize it was as localized as it was said. I didn't either, no. I thought they were all over, but they're not. Yeah, very Now, there's probably variations of the Pukwudgie in other regions, Mm -hmm. because, you know, like, Ireland has their leprechaun legends and stuff like that right which this sounds very similar absolutely yeah it sure does and i mean uh, uh certain like other countries like ireland whatever have stories of like fey that are supposed to be diminutive size exactly and, and they're also supposed to be uh sort of similar like uh, um trickster or or you know that kind of creatures where they yeah. they mess with people or you know they're fine as long as you leave them alone but when you go mess with them or go 
seek him out, then trouble ensued. Yeah, I did see the word fey mentioned during some of the writing, though. Yeah. The research I was reading, but I just used the goblins reference. Gotcha. Yeah, which makes sense. It said too. goblins or fey. Yeah. I could have said either or, but. I mean, it's same all thing. it's all one under one big umbrella. Indeed it is. All right, bud. Why don't we go take a break and then we'll get into the uh, lost head of James Moon? Yes, we need, we need, <laughs> we definitely need to get into that. <laughs> So before we get into this tale, let's acknowledge the source for the story. It's Mrs. Wakeman versus the Antichrist and other strange but true tales from American history by Robert Damon Schnick. Nice. This comes from a chapter entitled The Man in Room 41 and Other Auto Decapitants. <laughs> Auto Decapitants. I'm, I'm interested to find out what the hell that's all about. <laughs> At 117 North 5th Street in Lafayette, Indiana sits the Lar apartment complex. While it may look like your standard apartment complex, back in 1876, this building was home to the Lar Hotel. Built in 1861 in the downtown area, this hotel was one of the city's most famous landmarks. It boasts an impressive list of famous guests, including Ulysses S. Grant and Mark Twain. Neither of these guests, however, would end up as infamous as one James Moon would on Sunday, June 11th, 1876. <laughs> Hey, our uh, centennial. That's right, yeah. yeah. Nice. Nice. On that day, Moon arrived at the hotel in a horse-pulled wagon with a heavy trunk containing four 30-inch lengths of 1x5 lumber, a wooden soapbox, assorted screws, leather straps, a dowel, a brace, and three bits, a wrench, a screwdriver, a candle, a few yards of lightweight cord, matches, and a pencil, and a partridge in a pear tree. I was going to say, yeah, some beef jerky, you know. Uh, <laughs> and a, a toll paper roll and a some, midget. Some jolt soda, you know, other kind of things, yeah. Uh, some some uh, monster energy drink, yeah. Sink. Got to have a sink Everything in the yeah. sink, that's right. At the young age of 37, Moon was a Quaker blacksmith with a wife and six children when he made the trip from his farm near the Farmer's Institute in Union Township, nine miles away. He was also a Union vet, Army veteran and an inventor who was extremely interested in perpetual motion. He was also suicidal, and he attempted suicide twice before, including one attempt in the very same room three years earlier. In the same hotel and in the same room, he attempted to commit suicide with chloroform. Hotel employees mistook the smell for, for coal gas and broke down the door and found him on the floor convulsing. After he was revived, he explained it away by saying he took the drug to relieve cramps. This did not stop Moon from trying again. No, I mean reading reading the chapter of the book, it was like it was funny, funny, sad. It was like just yeah. it was so crazy. It's so crazy that it's funny. Exactly. This did not stop Moon from trying again. It only emboldened him to come up with a better way to complete the deed. Something that would make him famous. You see, Moon was a great admirer of other inventors, specifically men who had rendered their names famous as inventors of machines which would cause death, end quote. He also believed that he could outdo them, that he could, quote, 
make a better machine for taking life that has yet been invented, end quote. Ooh. Yeah. And so on Friday, June 9th, as Moon prepared for his trip to build his machine and end his life. Sure his name wasn't Kevorkian? Maybe, maybe they changed her name later on to Kevorkian? Maybe. I don't know. His wife, Mary, noticed nothing out of the ordinary. In fact, he was in particularly good spirits, according to her. The next morning, Moon pulled his horse and wagon up to the house, packed his trunk, and left for Lafayette. He would arrive at the Lar house about 10 a.m. and proceeded to rent a room. He told staff he was a light sleeper and needed some place quiet to stay for three to four days. He finally decided on a room on the third floor at the rear of the building, room 41, the exact same room he tried to commit suicide in three years earlier. Oh, geez. He then went to a hardware store in town, purchased a heaven axe with a broad 12-inch cutting edge. He took that over to another store in town, Harding & Sons Foundry. There he bought two pieces of thick iron plate and instructed the clerk to drill holes into the plates and the axe head and bolt the plates to either side of the axe head. Okay. The clerks must have been confused as you are, James. I'm still <laughs> trying to figure out how you got a 12-inch long axe head and he, he's not in medieval England or some shit. Uh, he purchased, apparently back then in hardware stores, you could buy axes like I that. I suppose so. The clerks must have been confused because he explained to them that he was inventing a machine for making fruit baskets and this was the blade. Very plausible. <laughs> Very plausible explanation, I, yeah. I use this for weaving. <laughs> he may have been an inventor, but he was not an inventor of good uh, explanations. Yeah, you idiot. He then went to a barber shop, got a haircut and a shave, two bits. His last stop was to R. Schregler and Brothers Drugstore to purchase cotton batting and a bottle of chloroform. He returned to the foundry to pick up his axe head, took everything back to his wagon, and put it all inside his already heavy trunk. By the way, once the plates were added to the axe head, it was said to weigh between 40 and 60 pounds. Okay. See where we're going with this. Yep. He asked two of the hotel porters to help assist him with getting the trunk into the room. Moon informed the manager he was, quote, engaged in perfecting a patent of considerable importance, end quote. Yeah, see, idiots like this are why chloroform can only be bought by prescription. It's probably not even <laughs> available to the general public anymore it, because you can accost people with the shit. You know, you one apple to ruin the bunch. Knock man. people the hell out and shit. So, yeah, that's, that's all highly controlled now. One person. Idiots. Screws it up for everybody. That's why oh, the, well. the meth heads have, have messed up. What so, what if I want to go convulse up? for a couple hours? You know, I mean, jeez, you, you didn't wreck it. Go find your, your stuff elsewhere, James. <laughs> And, th and was not to be disturbed. With everything in the room, he locked a door and again left. He was later seen having dinner and spent some time with friends and was, quote, cheerful, laughing and talking familiarly and freely with his acquaintances, giving special attention to army reminiscences. Hey, what's up, dog? Hey, man, how you doing, man? How long Moon was depressed is unknown. He never outwardly expressed any despair or depression, which we've come to find out isn't always the case when you're depressed. You that could, is true. You seem to be the happiest person in the world and secretly be depressed for a very, very long time. true. However, it ran in his family. Moon's mother and sister were supposedly the first in the family. His brother would shoot himself in 1881 in Indianapolis, and one of his sons would attempt suicide in 1900, and his daughter, Adela, gassed herself in Chicago in 1911. Jeez. Anyway, he returned to his room between 8 and 9 p.m. and began his work. He would spend the next three hours screwing and bolting his invention together. The construction of his machine was quite a wonder to behold. His machine was not a guillotine in the, the traditional French sense. Its design is what's known as a third-class lever. That is, 
It's a lever with one end resting on a pivot or fulcrum and the other supporting the load and blade. Oh, hell. So let's break this down, all right? First, Moon screwed a wooden base into the floor, then bolted a strong iron brack with a hook on it to a nearby window frame five feet above the floor. The lever itself was seven feet long and made up of three sections. The first two sections were made of wood and wider than the top section. This was attached to the wooden base with a hinge, which prevented lateral movement of the level. The axe head with the plates attached on each side was then bolted to upright pieces of iron bar that was fastened to the lower two sections. So at this point, you've got the base on the floor. You've got two of... Two wooden sections um, yeah. attached to that, which which get thinner as you go up. Some iron pieces, and then the axe head. Basically, it's like a giant axe. He's making a guillotine. Making a guillotine, but... A little home version. Yeah, and it's sort of a separate uh, um, configuration as well. Wow. This ensured that the top section was the heaviest and would travel fast and true. Oh, boy. Once completed, this lever stood seven feet tall. An eye bolt was screwed into the middle section of the lever, and a double cord went from that bolt to the hook and the bracket on the wall to secure it. The bracket in the wall was fitted with a candlestick that stuck above and between the two strands of cord. Okay, now back then walls were thin. Nobody could hear them in here beating on shit? So there's no hammers, there's no nails, there's no beating. Okay. Uh, Everything that he he used to put it together was screws and bolts. Gotcha. So you you know how quiet it can be when you do that. Oh, yeah. Yep. He's smart for a dumbass. He he is. He is. (laughs) This allowed the candle to burn for some time before reaching the cord so that Moon could position himself on the floor. He then got to work on the remaining parts of the system. After figuring out the exact right spot on the floor, he bolted a strap of leather where his legs would go to keep him from moving around. He then took the soapbox he brought, he bought, turned it on its side, and bolted it to the floor. He placed the cotton inside to absorb the chloroform. He drilled a hole on each side of the box near the opening he then lit the candle, put the chloroform on the cotton, slipped his legs into the leather strap. After he laid his head into the opening of the soapbox, he slid a wooden dowel through the holes which ran under his chin and kept his head inside the box and his neck perfectly exposed for the blade. Mm. This guy thought of a lot. Yeah. He really was trying to get yeah, this done he, right. He had his shit together. He for, then, a, for a yeah, depressed yeah, lunatic no, he, he, or whatever. You I know. mean... He's an inventor, so he he thought it through. He then began breathing in the fumes and waited for the candle to burn far enough down to activate his machine. Once it did, the lever flew as intended and severed Moon's head cleanly at the neck and sent jets of blood inside the box onto the cotton and onto his clothes and on the floor. Moon's body lay undisturbed most of the next day, that Sunday. Yipe. The maid on duty that day, Bridget Clogan, had tried throughout the day to get the room cleaned but could never get the guest to answer. Finally, Housekeeping. <laughs> you want men for pillow? That's right. That's, all, that's what I kept thinking when I read that part. Yeah. Finally, at 5 p.m., room 41 was the last one on her list, and the guest still hadn't answered. So she decided to go into room 40 and use the pass key to unlock the adjoining door to 41. Clogan screamed upon seeing Moon's now bisected body, which echoed down the hallway and brought two men to the room, who then sent clerks who summoned the authorities. No note was found in the room. But Moon, ever the inventor, decided to lighten the mood with a little little gallow humor. Uh-oh. For upon the lever were the words Kari Kari, patent applied for, and 
for sale or to let. <laughs> <laughs> let let for our younger people means rent. Yes. Just letting y'all know that. Thank you, sir. Appreciate that. Hey, no problem. Apparently, this was a word that Moon had used before in conversation, and most likely he was referring to Harakiri, the Japanese suicidal act. Part of the suicidal ritual. You almost adapted a Japanese accent right there. I was listening. <laughs> you said, "I'm next thing we hear." Harakiri. Harakiri. Yeah. Part of the suicidal a- ritual of seppuku, which includes the final act of the second, removing the head of the suicidal individual with one strike. Hmm. And it has to be with one strike. Yeah. If it's not, it brings shame on the family. Yeah. News of Moon's machine and suicide spread through the town quickly. Eventually, the county coroner, Dr. William W. Vintage, arrives to look at the body. After he examined the body in the room, he convened a coroner's jury of prominent men in Lafayette. They discussed Moon's mental health and previous suicide attempts and all confirmed the suicide verdict, but the circumstances were so unusual that the coroner spent two days studying the room and ended up writing an article about it later. Vintage estimated that the time of death at 7 a.m., yet the body wasn't found till 5 p.m., and no visible signs of decay were observed on the body. Also, if Moon did in fact finish the building of the contraption at midnight, as some reported, what did he do for the next seven hours? Don't know. Then, they sent word to Moon's wife, Mary, who claimed the body that Monday. After the body was moved, the undertaker then installed the Kari Kari machine in an empty room in his parlor. At one point, 3,000 residents from the town and surrounding areas descended on the hotel, retraced Moon's final day, and visited the machine at the parlor. A tad morbid. But then again, back then, wasn't uncommon. Yeah, that, Everybody wasn't so sensitive. Brings a curious. Yes, it does. On Tuesday, Moon's oldest son, 16-year-old Arthur, came into town and demanded the machine be returned to his family. The machine was, was then disassembled, packed into a trunk, and hauled away to be destroyed. Although offers poured in to buy the machine, but the family said they were going to burn the lumber and bury the hardware to rid themselves of its curse. However, by that Friday, the machine was back at the funeral home, and he was charging five cents to anyone who wanted to see it. The kid. The, the, the director. Ar- Arthur or the director? director? Oh, okay. So in other words, they caved and sold it. No one is quite sure how it got back to Mr. Scudder, the funeral home director, but... As Mrs. Moon was now a widow with six kids, it's possible that an arrangement was made between her and Scudder for the coffin and funeral services. My family honor is not for sale. <laughs> $1,000. Sold! <laughs> I think it was more like honor is not for sale. That's okay. Right. Uh, well, you okay, for the coffin and funeral service, it's going to be about $1,000 for all that. Here, take it. Take yeah, it. We'll trade. We'll trade, yeah. <laughs> I got six kids. I can't afford that. Yeah, no shit. The Kari Kari then went on to a multi-city Indiana tour including Lebanon, Logansport, and Indianapolis. It was then disassembled and placed back in the original trunk, then it was stored in Scudder's attic. Then it went on tour one last time in 1886. After the tour, it disappeared and has not been seen since. Oh, man, really? It's gone. It's lost, dude. Dang. It's lost. I know. I want to see it. That should be in a museum somewhere. Just so you know, and this will be on the, on the thing, but there is a picture of the machine. Oh, okay. There's uh, when After they took the body out, the coroner took a picture of the room with the machine set up, <laughs> and he was actually laying in the place where Moon laid. Yeah. So okay. you see exactly oh, how it works. Oh, I got you. Yeah. It's pretty interesting. The axe Ooh. is freaking giant, dude. Yeah. I was going to say, that was a big, broad head. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, Moon's stri- story, while strange, was not unique. In fact, his wouldn't even be the last self-beheading that century. Another man built a machine and beheaded himself in Brooklyn in 1884. 
and a man in California beheaded himself in a cabin in the Santa Cruz Mountains in 1901. For a short period, though, Moon posthumously made a name for himself and his invention. The hotel kept Room 41 locked and off the reservation lifts for the next 10 years. Then in the 1880s, the hotel underwent extensive renovations, and in 1998, the hotel was turned into the historic Lar Apartments, which is what they are today. And apparently somebody is living in an apartment that used to be the room that he chopped his head off. And they probably don't even know it. Eesh. And while there are many stories of the building being haunted, most of the accounts are completely unrelated to Moon and his most unusual death. Or maybe not. That'd be kind of interesting if you could go there and get him on an EVP. I would love to, absolutely love to see a headless ghost. Oh, that'd be hilarious. That'd be fucking hilarious, Looking dude. around for his shit. Yeah. What the hell? <laughs> it's like, where is it? Where is it? Yep. Where is it? Yeah. So that's how nice, man. Moon lost his head, man. Good story. Yeah. Pretty crazy stuff, man. Never heard of that guy either. I never knew that auto decapitation was a thing. I didn't either. I mean, I know that people are always looking for ways to off themselves. I know there's like, ritual suicides and stuff like I that. I know that too. But I never heard of anybody building a machine that actually chops your head off by candle, right. by candle power. By candle. <laughs> you know, yeah. that's that's weird. But I, I can see how. Yeah. You know, it yeah. burns down and eventually gets down to the rope, burns the rope in half, chop. And then I guess he used part of the chloroform to put himself in a haze so he wouldn't feel it. I'll tell you what, if, if most people had at least half of the determination that he had building this death machine, yeah, they might be millionaires because might this be. man he put a lot of thought and a lot of effort into building this. That absolutely would be perfect. the ultimate collector item for like the bad, most badass haunted house, or for you know for dickhead Zach Bagans' museum of death. Nah, fuck you. No, he he would buy it though. You know he would. I know he would. Dumb but shit, shit. I, wouldn't yeah. want to, I wouldn't want something that cool in his fuck no. freaking museum. Hell no. Uh, yeah. All right, man. That's cool. Yeah. I mean, that was a crazy story. Uh, it's not really paranormal, but I was like, that's, that's just weird. It doesn't even have to be. No, it's just weird. That's though. just weird shit. Weird I ass love shit. It. Yeah. All right, folks. If you'd like to hear more weird shit, <laughs> we would love segways. Yes, absolutely. If you could go to www.patreon.com forward slash state of fear, we have one level, seven bucks, get you access to our ad free episodes, early access, Got all kinds of goodies in there. And, of course, bloopers, because they are plentiful, I assure you. Oh, yeah. Uh, and we would appreciate the support. We're on social media, of course. And we are on YouTube as well. And That's if right. you are a YouTuber, we would love if you would go to our channel and subscribe, if you would. You don't have to hit the notification bell. Nope. Because I tell people I just, I'm just i happy with a subscription. Absolutely. If you can do that, that helps us. We sure appreciate it. I appreciate it. All right, bud. Well, I think we're headed up back east to the great state of Maryland. We're going to Maryland. Maryland. Yes, sir. All right, brother. We'll say we get in the car and get the hell out of here. Let's go, dude. I'm ready. Ready?